Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to RUF. So glad that you are here. It's, it's just, a, it's just, it's just a great time of the week. Glad we're taking time to take a breath, to take a break from everything that's going on, to remember who we are, remember who God is and what He's calling us to. It's a good thing. So I'm glad to have you here tonight. My name is Lewis Lovett. If I don't know you, I'm the RUF campus minister. I would love to get to know you. Make sure you say hi to me uh, if you haven't met me yet. We're we're continuing our conversation in Philippians, and we're talking about joy because we want it. We want that experience, that feeling of fullness and satisfaction and delight and celebration, and we're made for it. And, and we chase after it in so many ways, but the claim of the Bible is that true and lasting joy is only found in the Lord Jesus. And so we're talking about how in Christ we experience joy, and tonight we're going to talk about experiencing joy as we enjoy our heavenly citizenship. Heavenly citizenship. So we're going to look at Philippians 3, 17 to 4, 1. So if you have your handout, it's printed there, or your Bible or a device. It would be great for you to have that in front of you as we get started. Philippians 3, 17 to 4, 1. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. It's given us in love. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I am grateful for tonight. And I do love sitting in the front so I can hear everyone's voices behind me singing. And I'm grateful that you meet us in song. I'm grateful that you hear us when we cry to you and when we sing to you and when we pray to you now. I pray that your spirit would be at work in us through your word right now so that we might love you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In, in one of the most dramatic scenes in the office, Roy finds out that Pam and Jim kissed on casino night. Spoiler alert. And he comes into the office on a Friday afternoon at the end of the day. And he barges in and he just shouts out, Hey, helper! And Jim kind of looks at him and looks at Pam, and Pam looks at him and looks at Roy, and Roy looks at Pam and looks at him, and then he just lunges for Jim, and he cocks back his arm ready to strike. But before he does, Dwight stands up and pepper sprays him straight to the face. And he, I mean, he goes down hard, and even everyone else in the room is, you know, can't even, can't even see, is crying from all the pepper spray in the air. He's, he saved the day. He saved Jim. And so the next, the next week on Monday morning, Jim comes in the office, and he tries to thank Dwight for saving him. And uh, he says, thank you. And he says, Dwight, I, I got you a present. And he holds up this wrapped gift. And Dwight says, don't want it. He says, you don't even know what it is. Dwight says, don't want it, don't need it, won't take it. And then listen to this. He says, citizens do not accept prizes for being citizens. Citizens do not accept prizes for being citizens. In the midst of the ridiculousness and arrogance of Dwight, he's actually saying something profoundly beautiful. Okay? Profoundly beautiful. Thank you, Dwight. Because he considers his role in the office uh, as a citizen. As a citizen who has certain rights and privileges, i.e. he gets a paycheck, but also a citizen who has certain responsibilities. Now, 
for him, those are protecting people with hidden weapons all around, like your desk area and hidden underneath plants and stuff. That's not where, you know, the direction I'm going to take tonight. But, but I, I actually appreciate that he embraces his role as a citizen uh, because we are all citizens of something. We are all under something. We all belong to something. And, and I know that not everyone here tonight is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, then your citizenship, according to the Bible in verse 20, is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven, and so you have certain rights, certain privileges, certain responsibilities that come from belonging to God and being a part of his kingdom, being a citizen of heaven. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to be reminded of what those things are, what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And it's really important that we do because we are tempted all the time, in spite of this citizenship, to live as if we were citizens of something else. But God's call to us is if you have faith in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. So I'm going to talk about three aspects of our heavenly citizenship. I'm going to talk about the action of a citizen, the advantage of a citizen, and the allegiance of a citizen. So first, uh, if you are in Christ, you are called to the action of a citizen. So what is the action of a citizen? Paul says in, in verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is saying... Follow me as I am following hard after Christ. Follow me as I am following hard after Christ. Do what I'm doing. So what is Paul doing? Uh, if you remember a couple, a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned this last week too, there's this section in Philippians 2 where Paul kind of lists his credentials. He lists all the things that bring him prestige, all the things that bring him honor, all the things that bring him influence, all the things that bring him power, all the things that even bring him wealth. And he rejects them. He calls them rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is the action of a citizen of heaven. It is looking at all the things of this world that bring us honor, that bring us prestige, that bring us influence and power, and rejecting them for the sake of knowing Christ. It doesn't mean we don't do things that give us influence. It doesn't mean we don't do things that give us power. It doesn't mean we don't have positions but instead of using those things to define ourselves, instead we use them as an opportunity. We use them as an opportunity for the good of other people. So the first challenge to us is to take all the things that you can think of right now, all the accolades you have, all the achievements you have, all the respect and admiration you have, all the gifts and strengths and opportunities, all the jobs, all the money, to take it all and consider, how can I use this not for myself, but for the kingdom of God, for the good of other people? As, as people at a place like WNL, you tend to be in positions where you're going to have some of these things, where you're going to have influence, where you're going to have power, you're going to have position, you're going to have leadership, you're going to have money. What will you use them for? Where is your citizenship? A citizen of heaven rejects using those things for their own good and uses them for the good of others. That's the actions of a citizen of heaven. We're also called to the advantage of a citizen of heaven. We also receive special rights and privileges and benefits. In, in Paul's day, the highest status you could have as a common person was to be a Roman citizen. And there were rights that you had as a Roman citizen. You could vote. You could own property. You could avail yourself of the, of the Roman judicial system. And you could allegedly travel anywhere in the empire free of molestation and attack 
Because the idea was that no one would dare attack a citizen. Because if you attacked or robbed a citizen, the empire would bring the power of the whole empire to avenge, assail, and save that person. So Paul is talking to a group of people in Philippi, many of whom are Roman citizens. We, of course, in our own country, as citizens, have rights and privileges. This is what the Bill of Rights talks about. But what I want to talk tonight about is the reality that the advantage of being a citizen in heaven makes any other kind of advantage you can think of, any kind of thing about being an American, about being free, about being educated, pale in comparison. The advantage we have in Christ as a citizen of heaven is far greater than any other advantage there could be. That, that advantage is nothing less than the promise of eternal life in Christ. And what Paul does here, he's done this a couple of times already in Philippians. He's, he's reminding us what our hope is. He says that this Jesus who we are waiting on will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. That's the advantage of citizenship. How much do you think about heaven? We need to be thinking about it all the time. Because it's only when we grasp the enormity of our hope that these other things that seem shiny start not to be so appealing to us. But it only happens when we take a good look at our hope. So you've got to ask yourself, what would you rather have? A, a future with no pain? A future with no regret? With no anxiety? With no guilt? With no shame? With no fear? With no weakness? With no sorrow? With no heartbreak? A future full of love and peace and fellowship and joy and celebration? Would you rather have that? Or would you rather have a few fleeting moments of pleasure now? A few fleeting moments of affirmation from others now? A few fleeting moments of power now, which would you rather have? Our future hope is that, like Paul says, our bodies, ourselves, will be transformed. So when you live with Christ forever, your body won't be weak. It will be a body of power. It won't be humble. It will be a body of glory. It won't be mortal. It will be a body of imperishable immortality. How much do you think about that? And does anything else come close? One of the ways this, this reality hits home for us is that it means that the immediate desires and appetites right now don't own us. Shouldn't be the most important thing to us. Paul, in, in verse 19, he's describing people who are the enemies of God, the enemies of the cross of Christ, and he says, their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. The thing that they serve is their physical appetites, their carnal desires. The Bible calls them the desires of the flesh. These are things like our desire for money, our desire for sex, our desire to feel drunk, our desire for power. These, our God is our belly. It's what we want. It's what we're striving after in our selfishness. So my question for you is what worldly advantage are you considering higher than the advantage of life in Christ forever? And does it even come close? 
What moments of pleasure do we need to weigh against the hope of the glory that we have in Christ and find them lacking, find them wanting, find them not to be so shiny after all? We have a great advantage as citizens of heaven because we have the hope of eternal life. We're called to the actions of a citizen and the advantage of a citizen. And lastly, we're called to the allegiance of a citizen. This is what what we read in verse 20. Our citizenship is from heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no kingdom without the King. There is no hope without the Lord Jesus, who is the King of the kingdom. A kingdom is about one person, one thing, a king. And so here we start to finally understand what Paul is saying when he says, imitate me. We're, we're finally starting to understand what it means to follow hard after Jesus. It's about allegiance to the king. It's about where our loyalty lies as people. And, and allegiance, loyalty, is something to do with priority. With what is highest to you. With what we consider to be the most important. And as Christians, we we tend to say things like, God is the most important thing in my life. But then we get to the fancy draft pregame, and the question is, well, what are you allegiant to right now? To God or to your pledge brothers who are egging you on to take a shot? We say that God is the most important thing in life, but then when things start to heat up with our boyfriend, who are you allegiant to in that moment? Are you allegiant to him and to what it feels like, or to Jesus who calls you? to purity because the requirement the responsibility of a citizen of heaven is to be loyal to Jesus for him to be the highest good the greatest value the loudest voice in our lives the one we listen to above anything else I, I want to offer you guys two, two challenges tonight as I think of this there's, there's lots of things that we could think of but, but the first is this is that if you say you're a Christian are you someone who just believes in God or does Jesus have your allegiance? Are you someone who just believes in God or does Jesus have your allegiance? Because you can believe in God and your God can still be your belly. Your appetites, your selfish desires can still rule the way you live your life. Do you just believe in God or does Jesus have your allegiance? The, the second thing has, has, to, has to do with that You've heard me say uh, lots of times, especially if you're here last semester, we had a whole semester on relationships and sex and dating. And you heard me say that it was never good or wise for a Christian to date a non-Christian. You heard me say that. You were all mad at me at the time. But what I find is that uh, I have conversations with people a lot, and they're talking about the person that they are interested in or that they are dating or that they are in love with. And they say something to me like, oh, but it's okay. They believe in God. But if you are dating someone and you are striving after, the, after Jesus and the other person just believes and you are joining yourself to someone who has a different allegiance than you and it will actually only lead you to heartbreak and regret and pain. Because God calls us to more. He calls us to a radical allegiance in him to follow him, to consider him the highest, most valuable, most good thing in our life, the voice we listen to above any other. And we have to train ourselves daily to cultivate this allegiance. My daughter, Ellie Kay, she's sick. She's in kindergarten. And every day at school, she is trained in allegiance. 
because she does what many of us did. She stands up and looks at the flag and puts her hand on her heart and says the Pledge of Allegiance. She commits her, her fealty, her loyalty to the United States of America every single day. So my question for us is, what could we do to cultivate an increase in our allegiance to Jesus? How could we train ourselves to be loyal to Jesus in our lives? Because there are so many things competing for your loyalty. There are so many things that want you to submit to their way. So many voices that are begging to be listened to. And I don't know what those voices are for you. But I think we have to cultivate, train ourselves to cultivate our allegiance to Jesus. Uh, i got a couple of thoughts on this for you. The, the first is that this is one of the reasons why Christians strive to daily read their Bibles. Is because if we say that God is the most important thing to us, and we say that Jesus has our loyalty, that we want to follow him, we'd better know who he is and what he says, right? That's why reading the Bible is not just a, a checklist to make us feel good about ourselves. We, we need to know what it says so we can listen to it, right? The second thing I'd say is that we really need help from our friends. And that means that if, for example, drinking is a place where you're struggling with your loyalty, then you need to tell some friends about it. And you need to tell them your game plan for the weekend. And you need to ask them to pray for you. And then you need to ask them to check in on you and encourage you. And then on Monday, they need to text you and ask you how it went. We actually need our friends in this. And it's the same if you have anxiety over job interviews or you're struggling with porn or you're struggling in your relationship, whatever it might be. We, we really need each other. You cannot do this on your own. You're not supposed to. You're not meant to. And if you're trying to, you're going to crash and burn. If you're trying to, you don't need me to say that because you're already experiencing that, right? We really need each other. We really need our friends. The last thing I want to say is that I think we have to think about heaven more. I think we need to reflect on how great the kingdom is. That when we read that we have a citizenship in heaven, we're talking about attachment to the things of glory, to the highest good, to the highest love, to the highest power, to the highest goodness, to the highest purity, to the highest wonder and amazement and creativity and fellowship and peace. That's what we're attached to. Do we believe that or not? There's a great story in the Bible about a young man, the son of a wealthy father. And he owes his father his allegiance, his loyalty, and his father has been nothing but good to him. But this son rejects his father. And he disrespects his father enough to ask for what is due to him as a son now. He asks for his inheritance. He asks for money. And his father gives it to him. And so he takes the money and he leaves. He takes his allegiance and his loyalty and he puts them somewhere else. His God is his belly. And he squanders his wealth on prostitutes and partying and drinking and rich foods until he is left destitute, alone, poor, and at the door of death itself. And it's not until this moment that he realizes that he's put his loyalty in the wrong thing. He's been allegiant to the wrong thing. And as he's sitting there in a pigsty, starving, he decides that the only thing he can do is to go back to his father. And he doesn't consider himself worthy to be a son anymore. He wonders maybe if his father would take him on as one of his farmhands so that at least he wouldn't starve. And so he travels home and he's practicing his speech. And as he gets close to his father's house, his father sees him. 
And he runs out to meet him, and the son starts his, his spiel. Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I misplaced my loyalty, and I paid for it. He's sorry. He's sick. He's to be pitied. He's full of regret and pain and heartbreak. But before he can even finish his spiel, his father embraces him and kisses him. His father puts the robe, the mantle of his house on his shoulders and the ring of his seal on his finger. And his father throws a feast, throws a celebration because his son who was lost has been found. If you are here tonight and you have misplaced your loyalty, if you have put your allegiance in the wrong thing, take heart. There is hope. There is good news because when we turn around... And when we try to put our trust, our loyalty, our allegiance, our fealty back towards the king, towards Jesus, he embraces us. He greets us with mercy and forgiveness and love and delight. He celebrates our relationship with him. He draws us back to citizens of the kingdom as his beloved children. Let's pray. Father in heaven. It's hard to wrap our minds around. It almost seems too good to be true that we would be considered in the midst of the grime of this life, citizens of heavenly glory. And Lord, we come to you as people who throw our loyalty around, throw our allegiance around at at whatever is the loudest voice in any given moment. And Lord, we confess that there are times when our God is our belly, our selfish, carnal appetites. I pray that you would restore us to you. I pray that we would turn to you and experience your grace. And I pray that our vision of the hope we have in you, of our citizenship being one which will lead to eternal glory and life in you, would outshine everything around us so we might follow hard after you. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.